Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. What's up, guys? Welcome to our show. Good people, welcome. By the way, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. Anyone who want to learn more about content creation, about optimizing content, stay with us because, you know, we, you can get a lot of valuable insights today. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Brian Piper. How are you? I'm fantastic. Good to be on your show, Anatoly. Appreciate the appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, for me, it's a big pleasure, especially uh, you pay some attention to crypto uh, and uh, NFT. I, I love this topic. It's my main direction to promote uh, such projects and websites. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about content optimization. You bet. Uh, so I'm currently the director of content strategy and assessment at the University of Rochester in Rochester, New York. I started off as a web developer uh, back in 1996. I was not a very talented web developer. I was not a very happy web developer. I was working with some very talented people. Um, so they would do most of the website development and they would say, let's let him optimize the content and do this web positioning stuff because no one's really paying attention to that and you don't have to code too much to do that. So I was mm -hmm. focused on SEO for the beginning of uh, my career back in 2014. I read a book called Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, got into content marketing. I thought that was amazing that you can sell things and uh, increase your brand awareness by telling stories and uh, becoming a trusted resource for your your users so jumped into that went right to the uh, vice president of marketing at the company that i was working at i said you need to hire me to be your digital marketer she said we don't have that position i said i know but you need that position so she <laughs> chair she hired me. Uh, I started doing digital marketing for them and content optimization. I doubled their organic traffic in the first six months. And since then, uh, I've just been getting deeper and deeper into content marketing. I started going to Content Marketing World, which was Joe's event, and uh, got to be friends with him. I would track him down every year at the conference and take a selfie with him and thank him for changing my career and getting me out of website development. So and we, we've become uh, good friends, and I recently helped him write the second edition of Epic Content Marketing, which comes out in March. And we really updated the first edition, which came out 10 years ago. I kept telling him, Joe, this you know still talks about Google Plus, and you know we need to update this. <laughs> it's pretty old. So he let me help him update it. We added in all sorts of new content about how to optimize your content, how to build communities, and a bunch of content about web three and how to use nfts and tokens and you know start thinking about the metaverse from a content marketing perspective nice nice love it love love your experience uh, let's talk uh, a little bit about your book because um i often speak with book offers and i found they are great with sharing stories uh, they know how to craft the story that people wanna read uh, but um 
I found another thing. Uh, many business books are good for sleeping. You know, uh, when you have the problems with sleeping, you can read before bed and you can sleep well the whole night and don't remember anything from these books. Can you tell uh, what kind of benefits you share on your book? Uh, please provide this uh, interesting insights about your book. Uh, brief review uh, because my audience loves reads books. I am. I am. I'm a big fan of reading uh, awesome books. Just give uh, a strong reason uh, to, uh, after the episode, to buy this book on Amazon and uh, what kind of benefits I can get by reading this book, uh, including my audience. Absolutely. So, you know, this book changed my entire career path when I first read it. And when we went back to start rewriting it, at first we were like, well, it's been 10 years. Let's just throw everything out and start over fresh. And as we started rewriting it, we realized that a lot of the content in the book was still extremely relevant. It still all worked. It goes into the strategy of how you figure out who your audience is and how you create content that's really going to help that audience. We have some great uh, case studies in there about these companies that entirely changed their performance and their success by becoming these trusted experts for their industry and for their customers and answering the questions that your customers are asking. And that helps build that trust, which is so important, especially these days. We also end each chapter with kind of the key takeaways, the, the epic thoughts for that chapter. So it gives you a little bit of a refresher at the end of each chapter as to what it is that are the, you know, the key takeaways from that chapter. And it, it goes into everything from how to create your content strategy, how to focus on your audience, and we even get into how to use your content to you know, create these communities, to build these super fans, to get uh, users to start promoting your content for you. Um, and you know, the, the whole Web3 aspect of it is, is just a whole nother area. I mean, this is you know, marketing, all the fundamentals are still gonna apply. You're still gonna need all these strategies. You're still gonna need all these tactics now you just have new ways to distribute them, new ways to track them, new ways to engage and incentivize your audiences. So there's, um, you know, as I was writing the book, as I was researching it, we talked to, you know, over a hundred different uh, content marketing experts in the field. We got their predictions for the future. We got their insights into what was most effective for them. And we put that all into the book. So there's a ton of great content in there. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm going to put your book on my list. Guys, you can find this book uh, in the description below uh, because uh, it's very important today to know how to create the right content strategy because uh, I remember one study from Marketing Institute uh, that 36% uh, of all businesses have a documented content strategy. So most businesses ignore it. And I often see it when uh, people open SEMrush, Ahrefs, many other recognizable tools, find high volume keywords, and then trying to uh, compete with Wikipedia, many other websites, ignoring using unique selling proposition, uh, user's intent, uh, anything, you know, it doesn't work today. Uh, 10 years ago it worked i i did it you know i had a team of copywriters who wrote about anything we created content for high volume keywords today it's not only about google it's more about competition many other websites are online uh, 1.8 billion websites online want to get on, on organic traffic so uh, if it worked because uh google 
didn't have enough content today uh, google has and uh, we know about this algorithm uh, very hard you know to game the system it's better to be better than your, uh, your competitors okay brian uh can you tell how to find the right strategy you mentioned about job policy uh i know uh he's very good with that uh, uh i love his insights but uh, can you tell uh, how to create the right strategy because many businesses still use these tools but uh, your insights how, how to do it yeah absolutely so any you know any small sub strategy any micro strategy like your content marketing strategy your digital marketing strategy they all have to align with your overall business strategies. They have to make sure that they're all helping you work towards what your business goals are. Whether, you know, as in higher ed, uh, I work in higher education, so we're always looking at different ways to increase admissions, to get more donations, to get uh, the highest quality faculty that we can. So those are our, you know, institutional strategic goals. So we have to make sure that when we come up with our content marketing goal, that all of the tactics that you can employ using content marketing align with those larger goals. And then you have to look at your audience. So that's always where we start. We start with our higher strategies and then we start with our audience. You have to know who it is that's gonna be consuming this content, who can help you reach your goals by taking some action on your website, on social, on your YouTube and your TikTok. What action can you get them to take it's going to help you achieve your strategic goals. So it's really looking at that big picture. And then once you have all those pieces and parts in alignment and you're very focused on those, then it's critical to start looking at your data. So you wanna make sure that whatever content you put out there, that you're tracking the impact that it has. You're tracking how much traffic it's generating, you're traffic how many uh, tracking how many conversions it's creating. So you're really looking at what is working and what is not working so that you know where to put your time because when it comes down to it time is our most critical asset it's the resource that we we're limited in we can't make more time so you want to make sure you're spending your time in the most effective way possible yeah yeah i think for me time is the biggest asset ever you know you can lose money you can make a lot of mistakes uh, by the way failing only brings a new experience nothing else so you can learn from failures i remember when shaquille anil uh shared his insights about failures he told uh for me if you start something new uh, you need to do mistakes you can't go ahead without mistakes so it's part it's like education you can learn from them elon musk shared uh another attitude uh, if you don't make mistakes uh, you are not innovative enough so you need to do mistakes that's why i uh, of course i hate uh, doing mistakes but uh i can learn from them and go ahead so yeah i i love it okay let's talk about uh optimization can you tell uh for example uh, let me share an example i have a client who wrote a lot of articles, many articles uh, for many years, uh, more than 300 articles. Uh, these articles uh, ranked well, uh, got a lot of traffic. Today, it's not. Google uh, changed algorithms. And uh, when I analyzed these articles, I got it, uh, the information is obsolete. So today, it's not actual. We have no resources to rewrite 300 articles because it's not like uh, many years ago, one copywriter uh, could write uh, three articles a day. It takes time to deep research, to find uh, actual information. 
Can you tell what to do? For example, if I have resources to rewrite uh, 20 articles, let's imagine 20 articles, but uh, I still have 300 articles, what uh, what to do to remove them or uh, any other suggestions what to do? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, a very uh, typical uh, problem, very typical use case where you have a bunch of content that's just not performing, that's fallen off. So what we'll do in that case is we'll look at a few different things. So you want to look at the range of content that you have and look for these particular areas of interest, these particular um, kind of classifications of your content where you can group pieces of content together. So Google publishes online the search engine evaluators guidelines. So it's a 160 page document that they use for people who actually go in, Google pays them to go in and do searches, and then they rank the relevance and the, the quality of those searches based on a bunch of criteria that they lay out in this document. So within that document, they refer to kind of the EAT grading. So EAT is expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. Those are three things that Google is looking for from a site for it to rank well. So the way that you can help build this is by creating groups of content, clusters of content. So you find one pillar page that you could use. Like let's say you have one page about a particular topic area that's driving a lot of traffic. For instance, we just created a pillar page around research universities. So we're a research university. We wanna rank for that. That's one of our strategic priorities. So we created a, a single page that answers all sorts of questions about what research universities are. It was a new piece of content. But then from that, we linked to a bunch of different content that we already had that was high-performing research content, that was other keywords that were related to research, other topic areas that were focused on research. So now when Google comes and indexes our site, they see the page that has these keyword rankings that, you know, uh, are are already in their system. They see this new page that's all focused on research universities that answers a bunch of questions that users have, and they can see that we have a breadth of content. We've had content up for years about this topic area. They're going to give us more credibility. They're going to rank us higher, and that's going to help all of those supporting pages rank higher as well. So these topic clusters and these pillar pages are really something we've been focusing more and more on. And then we'll do, we'll look into each of the pages on our website. We'll look at all the content and see what keywords we're already ranking for. Where do we have the opportunity to do some optimization on the page to increase our particular rankings for those keyword areas? And then we'll go in and maybe we'll, you know, we'll create breakout content. We'll try to target featured snippets on the websites because we want to make sure that we get those featured snippet spots because those feed into voice search. So there's a lot of different ways you can start looking at optimizing your content. But the, the most effective way that we've seen currently with Google's current algorithm is creating these pillar pages and these clusters of content around particular topic areas. And I think as you know, Google starts to use PageRank, which is their uh, rank brain, which is their AI tool that is doing part of the um, ranking for them as part of the determinations of what's ranking high and not. It's really looking at those semantically related terms and helping, you know, add that into their, their eat determination to figure out 
what uh, what websites should rank higher because they have more content in this particular topic area. I love it, love it. You mentioned about EAT. By the way, I uh, asked Lily Ray to wrote a um, checklist for my SEO course because we are going to launch SEO course. She wrote, and I didn't know that EAT is so hard. You know, it's a big niche, you know, to, especially uh, it's important for crypto websites, yeah. for uh, finance, uh, health. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I love it. Let's talk about um, uh, pillar topics. For example, uh, let's imagine situation. I'm going to promote weight loss supplements. If I go to SEMrush, uh, type weight loss, I can get a bunch of uh, keyword ideas, a lot of them. So it's huge topic. Uh, and uh, how to find these pillar topics and uh, relate to sales funnel? Because many websites ignore sales funnel. They see, okay, weight loss, yeah, it's related. But it's not. It doesn't mean that you can sell by... Uh, uh ranking this keyword it's hard even hard to compete with many other websites uh, recognizable websites but even if you do it it's hard to sell with these keywords tell more about pillar topics how to filter out and find the right keywords yeah well we start looking at what pillar pages we want to create it all goes back to our strategy so when we're looking for particular keywords to focus on, we don't just look at high search volume or low competition. We look at which ones are strategically the most important to us. So if we have a question that only 30 people are searching on a month, but if out of those 30 people that come to our site because we're ranking number one for that, if 10 of them convert and you know, sign up for a thousand dollar course or sign up to become students or give a donation, that's worth way more than ranking high for 20,000 search volume keyword that nobody converts from. Yeah. So whenever we're looking at what terms we want to make sure that we put on the page, what questions we want to answer that people are asking, we're really looking from a strategic standpoint more than just the numbers. Numbers are important because they're going to drive traffic to the page. It's going to help you rank higher for other keywords, but it's, it's not the only factor that you need to look at. But when you're looking at, you know, creating these pillar pages, you want to make sure that you're looking at your main strategy and your primary users. What questions are those users asking that are going to help you reach your strategy or reach your goals based on them taking some action? So those are the questions that you want to target, you really want to focus on, you want to get rankings for, and then building that supporting content around those pillar pages, you want to make sure that you have a breadth of content. So if you're looking at, um, you know, a weight loss page, or you're going you're gonna to create the page that talks about that, talks about some of the best techniques, answers the questions that users are asking, how do I lose weight fast, what's the healthiest way to eat, but then you want to have a lot of supporting content around diets around exercise because all of those relate back to that key topic and when google comes in i mean if you look at their at their uh, evaluator guidelines it mentions the eat uh, grading system 135 times in the 160 page document so it's a very important factor so being able to create those pillar pages create that supporting content and show that you have a breadth of knowledge in that particular area 
can really help with your with your overall rankings and your conversions yeah nice nice by the way uh, i remember the discussion uh, about eat uh, is direct or indirect ranking factor uh, for me it doesn't matter <laughs> really because uh, it's interesting it's like uh, for example if i'm going to build muscles i need to train hard but if i don't eat healthy food if i don't rest i can't do it and uh, 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 according to many sportsmen, uh, eating is more important than training hard. So like 50% of results are because of your eating, 30% uh, because of resting, and only 20% because of training. So it's the same with EAT. If you can't get results without a EAT, uh, it doesn't matter. Direct, indirect, so it impacts the results. Uh, yeah, Brian, I have the question about um, uh, creating uh content that retain audience uh i remember when i wrote uh, i read the book from josh ugerman he wrote this book uh 40 years ago and uh, on this book he submitted a foundation uh how to retain uh readers to read the entire book uh, um, uh many great insights and i think it works today even much better than uh 40 years ago uh and uh, but we have still have issue when uh, people open content and bounce so fast like uh on youtube uh, 80 percent of people bounce for 20 seconds uh on uh website pages most of them just check out the first sentence the second and can bounce can you tell how to catch their attention and retain longer today according to your experience yeah absolutely and so a, a nice thing uh, you know google analytics 4 is is the new uh, paradigm yeah. for tracking your your content performance which is great because it actually deals with tracking bounce rate much more accurately than universal analytics did so you know that that's a good place to start is make sure you're using google analytics 4 to look at your bounce rate because it's going to record the events on the page much more accurately. But one of the things that we pay very close attention to, to whenever we see a page that's getting a high bounce rate or a low time on page, we look at the meta description for that page. Mm -hmm. So Google used to use meta description to help influence your rankings. They don't do that anymore. But that meta description is the first thing that users see in the search results that lets them know what they can expect when they come to that page. So if if they click on a link and they're expecting to get something and they go to that page and that's not what they get they're going to leave right away but if they look at your description and say oh that's not what i want i'm not going to click on that link then that will save you from getting that bounce rate that'll save you from getting that low time on page and we've seen a lot of improvement on our page performance just based on that you may decrease the total amount of traffic you're getting to that page but you're going to dramatically increase your time on page and you know consistently lower your bounce rate so that's one mm -hmm. of the things that we that we really look at with that yeah awesome uh let's talk about creating exciting content uh once i have discussion with jim edwards he worked uh, in business insider uh, over 10 years and he uh, they he started on this company from scratch and then sold company for 500 million dollars thousand employees a big company a well-known company and he shared the success of this company because of creating non-boring content uh, in boring niche you know for example if you are talking about crypto uh, finance 
it probably uh, this content is educational and boring as well. Uh, can you tell how to create non-boring content uh, in boring niches from your experience? How to entertain audience? Uh, yeah, more about yeah. that. So we get a lot of that. We have we do a lot of research focused content that we we create. Our content creators will come to us with these very detailed, uh, very um, you know, uh, jargon filled stories that go into the, the depth of, you know, a particular new laser discovery or optics discovery. And the key is making sure that you're focusing on your audience. So you want to make sure that you are writing to the level of your reader and that you're answering questions that your readers have. So the way to make your content exciting is to give the readers what they're what they're looking for. So if they come to you with a question about why this new discovery is important, don't write about the mechanics of the discovery and how it works and how the laser beam does something. Write about what it's going to mean for them. What new opportunities are they going to have in their lives because now you have a better way to do LASIK surgery, or now you can give them something new in their life that they didn't have before. So really trying to focus back, you know, take whatever the story is and make sure that you're writing it for that particular audience about problems that they have or things that are going to help them in their life, not just the, the details of that, you know, particular discovery or research. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned a few times about uh, you need to understand the audience, to learn about audience. I agree. I agree. But I found another trap here, uh, you know, because uh, many content creators ignore uh, their strong side. For example, if my audience is, uh, I don't know, on Instagram, but I'm not good with that, uh, I think you can find your audience on TikTok, YouTube, Google, anywhere. So because it's your strong side, like to write, not to uh, create awesome photos, pictures, anything else. Uh, can you tell how to unite your strong side with your audience inside? Because uh, for, I think it's not a good idea to limit your strong side because of audience interest. Uh, and uh, I found uh, it works for me something uh, when I share about me more on LinkedIn, then I'm trying to satisfy 100% of my audience interest. Can you tell more about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great point. And one of the things that we, whenever someone comes to us with a story idea, we look at the entire story and try to think about all the different audiences because different platforms have different user bases, right? The TikTok yeah. user base is going to be different than the Facebook user base. So you have to craft your content. You have to craft that story to fit that particular user. So uh, a researcher may come to us with a, a very detailed story, new research that's coming out. We're gonna put out different content on TikTok or Twitter than we're gonna put out on Facebook or in a news story. And if we're putting out content on YouTube, we know there's lots of different audiences on YouTube. So we're gonna focus our content on the particular audience that we wanna take the, the biggest action. So let's say there's a very uh, detailed research story that's come out. We're going to create a video around it, but the video might be targeting potential graduate students that we want to bring in to come work on this research project or to, to come into this department. 
we're going to have that that video is going to be more detailed, more technical, more jargon than the news story that we're going to put out on our blog because we want that to reach maybe potential undergraduate students who who may want to come in and sign in, you know, uh, uh, get admitted into the university and apply for the university. So it's going to be a very different story that's written and delivered on that platform based on the audience that we're targeting on that platform. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things when you're talking about data, we look at the data across all of our platforms. We look at the content performance. So we may have one story that goes out on six different platforms. We want to see which platform performs best for which story. Uh, they came back to us recently and said our research YouTube videos, they perform great. But people stop watching right about the two-minute mark. How do we make people watch longer? And we said, why not make two-minute YouTube videos? And they said, oh, well, there you go. Now people are going to watch the whole video. We're going to get 100% watch. Instead of trying to figure out how to create a long video that are gonna, that's going to keep people interested, just create a shorter video because that's the, the length time that they like to consume. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, by the way, you mentioned a few times about uh, learning data, getting this data. And uh, I remember when I tried to use data from my website to YouTube channel, but we, uh, we failed. Uh, the main reason, because uh, we analyzed uh, who is watching videos, and most of them, uh, people from uh, different um I like different age, different uh, interests, uh, because uh, on YouTube, uh, most um, people are students who want to learn more about uh, digital marketing. On my website, uh, uh, I have a lot of customers who want to order services, so it's quite different, and sometimes it's not a good idea to use the same data. And even more, I found, uh, for example, um, if we have two... Um, uh, I mean, like if we have one person uh, who can consume content on Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, they have different mindset. You know, if they open Facebook, they can uh, wanna, uh, I don't know, like to communicate with friends. Uh, on LinkedIn, they're looking for a job, you know, so different mindset. Yeah, uh, it's important to consider. Brian, I have the question about common mistakes. Can you list common mistakes and your tips how to avoid them? Yeah, so I do consulting with a lot of other uh, higher education institutions, healthcare organizations. And one of the biggest mistakes that I see when I go in is not using the data, not setting up Google Analytics to track their conversions, not setting up you know goals, conversions, uh, so that they know what content is performing. They come in and they say, we want to know what's working and what's not. And I say, well, what are your strategic goals? Well, you know, we don't have them clearly defined. Well, if you don't have your goals defined and you don't know who your users are, your your content is just kind of being thrown out there and you just hope that it's doing something that you want it to do. So I think not being intentional is the key mistake that, that I see. So people that don't have a firm understanding of the strategy of their users, and if you don't know those two things, you're not going to be able to track properly. You're not going to be able to look and see why is something not working or why is this content performing so well? Mm -hmm. uh, I have the question about SEO. Can you tell uh, how to create content for a human being and satisfy, uh, I mean, like not satisfy and consider Google algorithms? Absolutely. That's a, that's a conversation we have a lot 
is making sure that that you're writing for people first. You've got to write for people. Your content has to be scannable. You have to use lots of headlines. You want lots of images in there. If it's if it's a long piece of content, long form content, you want to make it easy for them to navigate within that content to find the particular piece that they're looking for. So lots of different things that you can uh, you know make sure there's lots of different tools that you can determine the the grade level of reading for a piece of content. You want to make sure that your content is consumable for a particular audience that you're trying to target. If it's if the language is too high over their heads and they're not going to understand it, it's not good for the users. So we always focus on writing for the user first, writing for people first. Then we'll go back in and start looking at where we're going to optimize for search engines, how we're going to frame the, the title, how we're going to get those keywords into the copy, into the image names, the alt tags, all the different ways we're going to link to supporting content. So it's a matter of making people your first priority strategically and then making the search engines the second priority. But there's a lot of links between those two because people are asking questions if you get a higher volume number of people who are asking questions, that's going to be great content to write to answer those questions for those people. That's also the same sort of thing that the search engines are looking for. And that doesn't matter if it's, you know, on your blog or your YouTube video or your TikTok video, using those high performing phrases, answering those questions that a lot of people are asking about your particular area. That's where you're going to collect the most traffic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, valuable. Uh, what do you think about AI tools? Uh, do we need to use them, consider them? Your insights about that? Absolutely. AI is here to stay. AI is going to make our jobs easier. It's going to make us more effective. It's going to give us the opportunity to spend more time looking strategically at our content and stop spending so much time doing the, the routine analysis things. Uh, there are some great AI tools out there that can help you look at your content performance. It can identify uh, topic areas of interest. It can identify uh, potential content that should be optimized. Uh, so yeah, AI is is definitely here to stay. AI is not going to take our jobs away. It's going to take some jobs away, but it's going to create more jobs. It's going to create new opportunities. Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, AI works well if you edit a lot after AI Absolutely. content. Absolutely. So it, it, it saves time, you know, to research, to find data. But uh, I don't rely 100% on AI. So <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a great tool, but it's not a solution. Yeah, of course, of course. Not golden button. I don't know. People are looking for golden buttons. <laughs> uh, but AI can't. By the way, I think AI can beat mediocre writers today. It's possible. But they can't beat excellent writers, uh, experienced writers, because um, I think AI have no... Uh, I don't know, spirit, have no passion. So, yeah, um, uh, I, I can feel it, you know, when I read content from AI tools. Uh, but you can edit, you know, so you can yeah, add your passion about that. Okay, I have the question, Brian, about, um, uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today to learn more about content marketing? There are so many amazing resources online. 
Um, there are so many experts out there, so many fantastic books that you can read. I say just dig in. It's it's like drinking from a fire hose. It's the same with Web3. The way you learn is by getting engaged, start exploring, start experimenting, look at what has already been done, uh, look at uh, experts, come to listen to podcasts like yours, listen to all these different people that have been doing this for years, figure out what works for them and just start playing around with it. See what works for you. I, I talk to all sorts of experts in uh, data analytics and SEO. They all have their different ways of working. They all have different structures that they use, different tools that they yeah. use. None of them are wrong. All of them are different. It just fits them. It, it uh, conforms to the way that they want to work and, and it works for them. Yeah, I agree. It's better to consider your strong side. So I, I know some content creators are good. Uh, we've created links worthy content and uh, even don't use any link building. Some of them get million traffic, a lot of traffic without any link building. So, uh, but other experts can know about link building PR, can provide awesome campaigns to get much higher results. Uh, by the way, what, what do you think about link building? Uh, do we need to consider link building today or it's useless? What do you think? <laughs> I, I think there's still a lot of value in high authority link building. So building links with uh, other high traffic sites. I think that's great. We don't spend as much time focused on link building at the university. Most higher education institutes don't spend too much time focusing on uh, link building only because they kind of already have that that authority, that expertise, that trustworthiness, because they've been around for a long time. They've got that history of time and content already existing. I think for new sites, sometimes it's very important to get those links back to your site. That can definitely help with your overall domain authority, which will help with your rankings. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I have the final question, uh, not about SEO, not about content marketing. It's more about uh, crypto, web three zero uh metaverse can you tell what kind of future will be uh, because uh, i see when uh, people jump on crypto trading without skills without experience or put all eggs uh, in one basket it's not a good idea we know that it's a very risky game what do you think about crypto and provide your insights how to uh, promote crypto projects today yeah i think I think Web3 is the future of the internet. I think it's the next evolution of, of the internet. I think it comes down to strategies. It's come down to the same basics. You have to go into any of these new environments, understanding that it's experimental. People are still figuring out what works and what doesn't work. Uh, you know, NFTs have gone up and down. Crypto has gone up and down. There are, are crashes. There are lots of businesses, you know, getting pushed out. There are businesses that are failing, people that are doing things the wrong way because people are all experimenting. I think it's a great time to be in this space and just to start playing and understanding the space. I think within the next three to five years, we're going to see a big shift in the space where we're not going to be talking about NFTs or blockchains or tokens. It's just going to be rewards and data management and memberships. And we're going to be using language that people are used to hearing, but we're going to be implementing those and setting up those tactics within the blockchain. And we're going to be leveraging 
individual data control. We're going to be creating incredible new ways to personalize experiences and to take content marketing and really turn it into content experiences and really be able to engage with people in a much deeper way, in a much more relevant way. So very excited about Web3, the opportunities in there. I think it's going to create lots of opportunities for new ways to look at marketing. It's not going to be you know, a billboard or a banner ad anymore. It's going to be creating an entire immersive experience where you can bring your user into you know, a cooperative environment where they can collaborate with you to create new products. So I, I'm very excited by the space. I'm excited by the opportunities. And I think we're just starting to, to see some of what's going to come out of it. Nice, nice. Love your forecast. Uh, Brian, tell our audience uh, the best way how to reach out to you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you. Uh, you can come to my website, brianwpiper.com. I'm Brian W. Piper on uh, pretty much every social channel. I always love talking data analytics, SEO, Web3. Um, I do presentations and workshops on, on all of those areas. Always looking to make new connections and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. Nice, nice. Guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. I love all your insights. Guys, you need to read Brian's book because you can see a lot of valuable insights. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.